Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. And that's what we talked about last week. How do we practically live out the vision of Fixate? Because our mission is depth, discipline, sacrifice, and sustainability. How do you live in depth that breeds a daily, weekly, monthly discipline that understands sacrifice and what healthy sacrifice is? And then from that sacrifice, you live spiritually sustainable. But it all revolves once again around this vision statement to restore the gaze of humanity back to its creator, to allow the creator to create once again, to restore the attention of creation back. You know, believe it or not, in this day and age, what most of us have um, been sold or the marketing approach of everything is how can we get your attention? And when we were coming up with what we would call our church, that was what we were feeling is God was saying, man, Micah, if you, if my children will actually give me the attention, I promise I can create better than they ever could. I would say in human history right now, we can create on our own more than ever before. If you think about technology or social media or content creation or whatever you want to call the creative element, I believe we can more than ever before, but there's a toxicity in it as well. And many of us were dissatisfied with what we've created because we're constantly aware of what everybody else has created. And so from the lens of looking at others' creation, we assess ourselves, doubt ourselves, disqualify ourselves, write ourselves off. And what I want to say to you today is the greatest creator in your life is not you. It is not your gifts and your talents. It is not what you are hoping you become. It is rather the attention that you give the creator and you start to find out that he actually can create better than we ever could. You know, as we're talking today um, about, once again, restoring the gaze of humanity back to its creator to allow the creator to create once again, what you need to understand is this, is that attention to God is both good and costly. What do I mean by that? See, a lot of us, we think that if God has our attention, then it must be all good. No, in my opinion, if God has our attention, it should be both good and costly. What do I mean by that is I believe some of us, we want the creator to create, but we don't want to trade in the things that are inhibiting that creator from creating. The things in our hearts and in our lives that the hidden sin, brokenness, the things that we struggle with, we don't want to give those things to God. We want him to create, but our vessel can't hold anything. You know, I, uh, I'm a, uh, triple threat uh, growing up. I was homeschooled, private school, and public school. Um, What was the worst one, you ask? Homeschool. It's kind of funny. It wasn't prison, but it's got to be close. My mom was, uh, my mom like loved that I was homeschooled because she's super social. And so she'd be talking to me and I'm like, mom, I, I do not like actually like that you're my only friend. 
And what's interesting about homeschool is my time frames were weird. I started out in private school, made it to private till about, uh, I think it was fourth or fifth grade, switched to public school. And then by the time I got to high school, my parents were like, no way, we can't unleash him. So I was homeschooled freshman and sophomore year. Now, like I said, freshman and sophomore year, it was mainly because my parents was like, can we send this guy to public high school? No, we cannot. So I did online, online school. Well, okay, now it's different now than when I was a kid because obviously I'm so old. Um, but I remember when I went back to public school, I was like, I, I, I was voted my senior year most mischievous. Some of you guys are like, what, where are you going with this? Don't worry about it. Most mischievous, I literally had to Google the word. But the reason is, is because what I had perfectly tailored was an existence in which I could get decent enough grades to not get grounded on the weekend, but have a good enough time in class to have a lot of friends and have a lot of fun, which to this day, I still, I still believe in both of those practicalities. But I remember I, I was in class. There was always a couple teachers that took their, 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 that, that took everything really serious. What do I mean by that? There's always a couple teachers who they're teaching and they're like, you will not be a class clown. You will submit. One of those teachers was my math teacher my junior year so much so that I literally had an assigned seat. And whenever there was a substitute, there was a list to the substitute. There's a man in third hour that sits at this desk that do not let him run wild and free. (laughs) And so ultimately, this teacher was just a massive buzzkill. And on top of it, she was my math teacher, which if any of you like math class, you're a liar. Anybody like math class in here? No. Okay, couple. All right. All right. There was only one dude in there. All all the rest were chicks. All the dudes are like numbers. (laughs) But no, I I literally hated math. And so ultimately, I kind of had to figure out new ways and be adaptive in my ability to distract, if that makes sense. One day, me and my friends came up with an idea that we would buy three clumps of bananas Six bananas a piece. And she had a, a specific cabinet that we were going to hide them in the back of the cabinet and then just keep tabs on them and see what happens. Now, when you're in high school, you have ADD because every male student under the age of 18 or 28 has ADD. And I remember I put them in the cabinet and after like a week or two, I'm not really thinking like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen to these bananas. We just forget. Till one day I come into class. My teacher immediately says, Micah, I need to talk to you in the hallway, which is always never a good thing. We go in the hallway and she looks at me. She says, Micah, I need to talk to you. Um, This weekend, this was a Monday, she said, this weekend I came in this morning and this classroom stunk so bad. She said, it smelled terrible. And so what we had to do is we had to go through and open all the cabinets and open the windows and figure out what was causing the smell. And then we found three large bundles of bananas shoved into a closet that had not only browned and molded, but had started disintegrating into the shelving. Now, I can't prove it's you, but I know it was. <laughs> and immediately I like look at her and I'm just like, oh, like, oh, that's crazy. Somebody put three large clumps of bananas in your cabinets? Who would that be? I'm like, let me off the leash and play in the yard a little. And she's like, she immediately, and it's funny because we have this banter back and forth. And she goes, please do not let that happen again. 
Now, the reason I tell you that, some of you guys are like, where is this a sermon or what is going on? The reason I tell you that is you could, tell, you could sense something was wrong in the room, but it took looking for what was wrong and the removal of it to make things better. This is what I want to talk about in vision and fixation upon God today. Not just God creating something better for you, but rather God having the permission to remove the things in our lives that are inhibiting the environment we are currently in. See, what I'm challenging all of us today to do is not just posture our lives to see, but posture our lives to see and be obedient to the removal of the toxic traits that we've allowed to run free in our hearts and minds. So today, let's start reading some scripture, if that's okay with you. I've titled this sermon today, Eyes That See Above It All. Eyes that see above it all. This is an incredible story, and you'll understand where I'm going from it. Because if you boil down fixate, that word, to like a specific Bible story or verse, this would be, this would be it. Because what you see is there's a proximity that produces a perspective that in turn lives in a power that is unparalleled. Wow, a lot of alliterations. And I want to challenge us today that that is what our goal is here. It's a proximity that develops a perspective that lives in a power. This is the goal. So with that, we're going to start. And once again, this is in 2 Kings chapter 6, 8 through verse 23. This is about, in that day and time, arguably the most godly man on the face of the planet, a man by the name of Elisha. Let's start reading. It says this. Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel, and he counseled with his servants, saying, In such and such place shall be my camp. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Armenians are coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. Now the heart of the king of, of, king of Aram was enraged over this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you tell me which of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Pause. What's going on here? There's an enemy of Israel that's trying to attack. And what we see is that they're marauders where they come in and they blaze through areas of the population and extract the resources, whether that's crops or raw materials, and in turn take them back to their lands. They're not looking to completely overthrow. They're looking to pillage. So what happens? Every time they raise up a band to go and, and, to, and to try to kind of take all of these things from the people, this man, Elisha, is hearing. He's hearing exactly where they're going to go and what they're going to do, alerting the king of Israel, which in the Old Testament construct is God's holy nation. And he's saying, hey guys, here's the deal. These guys are going to come at this day and time in this location. Make sure that we get out of there. And this isn't just happening once or twice. It's happening a few times. Verse 13, it says this. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and take him. And it was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. This distance from where he is in Aram and Dothan is about a seven day by foot journey. 
It says this, He sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? This servant is interesting because many believe by kind of mutual consensus, it's a man by the name of Gehazi. We know that this man has been a servant of Elisha, but he's kind of a scummy dude. In 2 Kings 4 and 2 Kings 5, as well as 2 Kings chapter 8, he is referenced. But once again, he's a guy who has access and proximity to one of, if not the holiest men on the face of the planet. Yet one doesn't really live like he has that access. So let's continue to read. It says this. Verse 16. So he answered, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Then Elisha said to them, this is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me. I will bring you to whom you seek. And he brought them to Samaria. Cliff Notes version. The next four verses then say that Elisha brings this enemy army into the camp of Israel's army. And then commands the general of Israel's army to eat a meal with them and provide water from them. And because of such kindness that is shown... The armies actually decide not to war with each other, and there's a peace that is established. Interesting story, to say the least. But what we're focused on today is the fact that Elisha had such a proximity that he had a different perspective that could see the power of God. Gehazi's proximity was to the man of God, not to God. And remember what it says. God opened his eyes so that he would see something. See that those who are with are more than those against. I ask you that question today. When you feel encircled. When you feel like everything's against you. When you feel like nothing's going your way. Do you believe that those who are with are more than those against And today as we talk, I'm going to give just a couple brief thoughts because I think the invitation today is how do we train our eyes to see above it all? Because that's the story, right? Gehazi walks out and sees what he's surrounded by. Elisha doesn't even walk out, it says. He just commands his eyes to be open to see above. Isn't it interesting that there can be a perspective and a personification of somebody who doesn't even need to look outward because they are so rooted inward that they have a perspective that nobody else does. This is what we're talking about today. How to train our eyes to see above it all. The first thing is this. Your vision test comes down to one question. Do you see God as the sole source of your salvation. If not, he will allow you to continue to use your strength in ways that fail. 
in hopes, you come to the realization you must run towards the one who will never fail you. This is one of the hardest things, if I'm really honest with you, as somebody who follows Christ and, uh, you know, is, is full-time, as a full-time pastor and leading this church, is when you look at people and you know God has so much for them, but they're not done trying their own way and doing it in their own strength. And what I mean by this is I believe a lot of us, we want God to create, but how he creates and what he creates, we actually fight against. You know what's interesting? Is that in this particular passage, there are two names in the story, Elisha and Gehazi. Old Testament, just a little bit of a, a side note, Old and New Testament, typically if there are geographical locations used as well as names used, there's typically historical or, or theological significance. Even the term Dothan, when we read and Elisha was in that place, that place specifically was where Joseph was sold into slavery with his people. Not only that, the people of Aram, if you research that name and where they come from, they're descendants of one of Noah's grandsons. It's interesting how interlocked everything is. But in this particular instance, Elisha and Gehazi are the names that are used. Listen to what those names mean. Elisha's name, God is my salvation. Gehazi's name, listen to this, Valley of sight. Okay, let's unpack this for a second. What did Gehazi see when he was surrounded? He's in the valley looking, and his sight in the valley is what was around him. Elisha didn't even have to look out the window or get up and walk outside to see what was around him. Why? Because he knew what his salvation was. What am I trying to say to you? I believe some of us, we've trained our eyes to see what's around us when we're in the valley. But how many of us have trained our eyes to see the salvation and the Savior that supersedes anything that could surround us in the valleys of this life? And what I want to challenge you today is this. You know, there's even a song that's popular today in Yeshua. That, that, that even Hebrew word Yeshua means salvation, deliverer, redeemer, or rescuer. Now, my question to you today is this. Is God the only thing you believe that can rescue you, redeem you, deliver you, give freedom to you? Because I think if we all sit here and just sit in the, in the weightiness of like, man, I don't know. I think we would all come to this place where we might realize that, man, in our own strength, in our own abilities, in our own plans, in our own bank accounts, in our own careers, in our own relationships, we try to fortify ourselves in our own strength that when we feel circled or surrounded, we can find a way out. You know, when we launched this church, I felt like the Lord, I had these wild prayer requests that I would always pray. And there's, because we all obviously have huge need, right? As church planters and me and my wife, and we moved and left everything, moved with a couple friends. And one of the earliest words that God consistently reminds me of today is he told me, he said, Micah, I will never let you get so far ahead that you no longer need me close. And I want to say this to you today. I believe a lot of our humanity today is trying to get so far ahead that we don't need anybody close. 
So far ahead that we don't need to be close with God. So far ahead that we don't need to be vulnerable or discipled or accountable to anybody else. So far ahead that we're an island. And we don't realize that when you're marooned on an island, you don't survive. What am I trying to tell you today is that some of us, right, we want God to be our salvation, but we're not done trying our own strength. And God will let you try to build your life in your own strength. And he will let it run dry, hoping that you'll run to the one who doesn't fail. Gehazi or Elisha. Second thing is this. People can get you close, but your habits get you closest. Your ability to hear will directly influence your ability to see. So take ownership of habits of hearing so you will be able to walk into seasons of seeing. Remember when our story starts? Elisha's ability to hear what the king is saying in his palace. Before he ever saw what he was against, he had an ability to hear things that would come against And what I want to say to you today is this, is that I think a lot of us, we think that hearing from God is just being in places where people hear from God. If you notice Gehazi, what happened when he faced a problem is he went to somebody he knew that had proximity to the problem solver. Gehazi looks and goes, oh, we surrounded Where does he go? Elisha. Why? Because Elisha had a proximity that Gehazi didn't. What am I trying to ask you today? What am I talking to you about this afternoon? This idea that for some of us, right, we want to see God do things in our life, but we don't have habits that actually hear and receive from him. See, we're so focused on an exterior reality that we want to see that we cannot be still and know that he's God. You know, what's interesting about this, too, is how could you be so close to somebody who's so close to God, but yet not close enough to God or that didn't wear off on you? And man, that's just the day and age we're in. If you want to eat secondhand, you can in this day and age. You can go to a million church services. You can listen to a million sermons. You can watch a million YouTube videos or listen to the same album over and over again and still not know how to hear God. Still not know how to be present still and receive from God. You know, when we first started our church here, we didn't do this um, by accident. We did this with intention in mind. We started a prayer meeting on Tuesdays at 6 a.m. That prayer meeting was not so that we could get a billion people to come because now there's like a hundred or more that come every week to it. It was because we felt like God asked us to make space that costs to be present and still, undistracted, At that time, there's not a whole lot you can do other than sleep. So why would we do that? It's because that was what God was asking us to birth, not just in our church on Sunday, but in our church on Monday mornings extremely early. But what am I telling this? And I've said this in all our services today, and I want to challenge you today is this, is I believe a lot of us, we don't have habits of hearing. 
Not only do we not have habits of hearing, but we're frustrated that we're not seeing anything externally. And it's because we have no habits for our internal. And so when we started here, when we started here and when we were like, man, God, we want to create something or do something or, or build something here. What it really came down to is God, for every service that we're going to add, we're going to add a place for renewal and what we call renewal rooms. You know what renewal rooms mean to us? Is this historical pattern that I see of accelerated awareness and spiritual growth is this. Prayer, worship, repentance, over and over and over and over. People who create space in their lives for prayer, worship, repentance, repeat. Prayer. And for a lot of us today, worship is fun, prayer is a little awkward, and repentance is heck not. But what would it look like? Habits of hearing in which we start to root ourselves in prayer, worship, and repentance. What am I saying to you? We have renewal rooms right now that run three times a week. Tuesdays, 6.15 a.m. to 7.15 a.m. Wednesdays, noon to 1. Thursdays, 8.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. We don't run them so that me and my wife can go to all of them. We run them because if we don't have a church that hears, we won't have a church that sees. And I want to challenge you today that a lot of us, we want to see things. But we don't have, it, have habits that will hear things. And before Elisha was a seer, he was a hearer. My final point is this. If you're more aware of what's around than what's above, I challenge you to place yourself in environments that force your eyes upward. Get around people who force your eyes upward. Read the Bible in books that force your eyes upward. Sing songs that force your eyes upward. And do not believe the lie that you won't be able to see above it all, to live above it all. For this is where we are all created to belong. One of my favorite miracles in the New Testament, one of my favorite miracles in the New Testament has very interesting wording. And this is, you'll understand why. Mainly because the whole backstory of it is so wild. But then when you actually like put yourself in it and look at the posture and the way Jesus interacts, it's pretty fascinating. And it's in Mark 8, 22 through verse 25. I'm going to read it. He's not going to put it on the screen. But I want you to just steep in this for a second. It says this. When they arrived at Bethesda, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, begging him to touch and to heal. Jesus led him as his sighted guide outside of the village, placed his saliva on the men's eyes and covered them with his hands, then asked, now do you see anything? Yes, he said, my sight is coming back. I'm beginning to see people, but they look like trees. Pause. Imagine right now if I said, hey, I have a miraculous ability for somebody in this room to encounter God in a profound physical healing way. Who needs it, right? Then immediately I grab you by the hand and we walk out of downtown. As we walk, we, I finally stop you and then I just go, all right, stand right there. <laughs> And then spit in your eyes. And then after spitting in your eyes, and you're like, wait, what is going on? You open your eyes, and you still can't see clear. First off, I'd be borderline throwing hands with Jesus. 
Second off, why couldn't you just, why did I have to walk outside of the city? Why did I have to get spit in my eyes? And why didn't it work? <laughs> Look at this though. And once again, one of my favorite miracles, this language. Jesus put his hands over the man's eyes a second time and made him look up. The man opened his eyes wide and could see everything perfectly. His eyesight completely restored. What I want to say to you today is I believe some of us, we've been in environments where we've partially looked up, partially gotten healing, partially seen God in profound ways, partially. But for some of us right now, you're in situations, seasons, and settings in which God is trying to take your eyes and force them above what's in front of you. This story is fascinating to me. Why? Because we all know Jesus has the ability to heal. Why would he walk a man out, spit in his eyes for half a healing? Maybe it's to show that it's not about the healing. It's about where I'm looking for the healing. See, it's not here. It's here. So... If, if it's there, if I can get partial healing by looking out, but start to posture my life to look up, to really receive the fullness of the healing, how am I doing that? Because believe it or not, your eyes are the battlefield today. Not just the world, marketing, commercials, everything you can imagine is fighting for your eyes to stay on that. God is looking for a people this morning who literally say, Father, force my gaze upward. Force my ability to see and perceive you to be above the valleys that I'm encircled in. To see that those who are with are more than those who are against when we gather every year on this date, it is to come into this sanctuary and no matter how blind we feel or wide-eyed in wonder we're experiencing God, we give him permission to put his hands on our eyes and force them upward. For upward is where the healing is. Not looking at the trees of the men in front of us, the armies that have surrounded us that it feels like there's no way out but upwards to our heavenly father. May you stand to your feet. I'm just going to recite a prayer over you related to the sermon before we close with one final song. So whatever your posture for receiving is, I pray that this would meet you where you are. If we could bow our heads. God, today, would you give us the strength to see that those who are with us are so much more than those that are against that in this world that fights God for attention, we repent. We repent of selling our souls to a culture that tries to define what attractive is, 
but is really a distraction from what we long for. Oh God, bring us back. Back to hearing unto seeing, back to seeing that directly impacts ours and those around us believing. Oh God, we don't want a sight that can only see through the valleys. We want a sight that sees from the heavens. We long to be a people marked by seeing differently and living differently. Never off center by what is going on around us. We tune into the one who is above all, who is above us who invites us to a life that sees clearer, farther, and more intently. Jesus, you have our yes to force the eyes upward. And we trust that when when our eyes are repositioned, you bring about the miracle that only you are able to do. We sign up today for the training that brings new ways of living, one in which we are always gazing upon the one who is with us, who is far, far greater than that which could come against us. In Jesus' name.